Amen. James chapter 2, after salvation, then what? Uh, let me ask you this morning, are you a teacher? Are you a student? Are you a surgeon? Are you an attorney? Are you a preacher? And then let me ask us, are you a Christian? Because if you're a teacher or a student, there should be evidence that you're a teacher or a student. If you're a surgeon or an attorney, there should be evidence that that's what you do in life. And if you're a preacher, somewhere you stand up before people and share the word of God. But are you a Christian? Uh, I remember when the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire came out, Regis leading that show. I remember watching it one night and there was a guy sitting in the hot seat, a contestant. Uh, Regis was making comments and then ultimately Regis gave him a question, four possible answers to that question. Lights were dim, music was playing, Regis was making comments back and forth. What do you want to do about the answer? And the guy, the contestant, in the hot seat said, I have a gut feeling that I know the answer. And so Regis continued to say, do you want to go with your gut feeling and do you want to make that your final answer? And the guy thought for a moment and then he said, Regis, that's my final answer. The answer was revealed and his gut feeling was wrong. It was not correct. This morning, let me say to you and me, you and I can be wrong about many things in life. It's not a big deal. Uh, the game show will be over. Life will go on. But when it comes to your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't be wrong about whether you know him or not. You need to know with all certainty you know Jesus as your Savior. Let me ask you, kids, students, and adults, do you know that you know you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in your life? Do you know that? How do you know that you're a Christian? You say, well, I prayed a prayer one time. I walked down an aisle. I signed a card. I read the Bible every now and then. I pray when things not going well need direction. I give an offering when I'm financially able to do so. I attend church every so often when my schedule allows. But is there more than that? How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you've been saved? Do you ever see brothers and sisters in Christ in need and you say, you know, whether it's rent or clothing or food and I'm going to meet that need for a brother and sister in the Lord Jesus? Do you ever do that in your life? Do you ever find yourself living a godly, faithful life when you look at your life and to say, God, I'm living faithful to you and living godly and obeying what your word says? Do you ever look at your life and say, sure, someone back there in my past hurt me and wounded me by words or actions, but you know, because I've been forgiven so much in Christ, I'm going to forgive that person, and you do so without ever being prompted. You know it's the right thing to do in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so you forgave that person because why? You're walking faithful to Jesus. Do you know that you know that you have a personal relationship with Christ, and then how do you know that you're a Christian? There are people all over the world who talk about God and talk about being a Christian, but it has nothing to do with the relationship with Jesus Christ personally. 
one of the great spiritual tragedies in the life of the church is this. So many people say they know Jesus, but they refuse to live for him. Something is wrong with that. When you say you know Christ and you refuse to live for him. There are many churches, by the way, too. Many churches on their membership rolls have literally hundreds or sometimes thousands of people who have been baptized and received into the membership of the church, but they do not follow Christ and they're not faithful to that local gathering of believers. Even in our church, we have a membership role that is labeled inactive members. What do you do with that? We have a couple thousand people who are members of this church, but they're labeled on our membership role as inactive, inactive members. How do you do that from James chapter 2? And so you look at somebody and it says, I'm a Christian and uh, I, I know Jesus, but I'm not living for him, not following. Is that person saved? Does that person really know Christ? Does that person have genuine biblical faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does God care about how you and I live in the Christian life? The answer is yes to that. When I look at my relationship with the Lord, when I came to Christ as a young boy, I was a young boy sitting on our basement steps. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world, saved me that day on those basement steps. And I remember telling my mom, I remember telling my Sunday school teacher, I remember standing before the church and sharing it with the church family. I remember being baptized in obedience to Christ in a, in a creek one day. But after salvation, then what? Here's what happened. No one came alongside me after that and said, after salvation, then what? Then here's what happens now that you're a believer in Christ. Here's some things that ought to be evident in your life. No one did that in my life. Thank God that over time that I had the opportunity of seeking out questions and answers and I found myself reading the Word of God as a spiritual discipline and that discipline changed my relationship with Christ because when I got into the Word of God and started reading, here's what I discovered. This is who I am in Christ and this is what Jesus wants me to do in life. Changed my life. After salvation, then what? Sometimes people look at James chapter 2 and they say, well, James and Paul are in disagreement. They're contradicting each other. Well, I don't think they're in disagreement. And I don't think they're in contradiction at all. Uh, I, I think the Bible is very consistent. James, please remember, he's writing to Jewish believers. Here's what they believe. You could give your life to Christ. Do nothing after that. James is writing to say, no, when you give your life to Christ, you ought to be serving him. There ought to be faith, but there also ought to be works. Paul, on the other hand, is writing to a group of believers who, who, and, and people in life who believed that you could work your way to be right with God. And Paul is saying, no, good works will never make you right with God. Only Jesus Christ will do that. His incredible, amazing grace is the only way you'll be saved through faith. So they're not in contradiction. They're really speaking the same language to one another, just writing to different groups of people. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I go back and to think, what did he say about salvation? But what did he say about works? And you find, and, and as he's writing to the believers in Ephesus, he says this, which is a great verse, for we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then he's writing to a group of believers in Galatia, and he says this, he says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul and James both writing here saying these things, yes, that when you give your life to Christ, you are saved by grace through faith, but also there ought to be works, good works happening in your life as a result of knowing Jesus. Now on your outline, let's walk through this. I want to give you some insight here. Number one is the evidence of faith. There should be evidence. When you know Christ, how do I know that I'm a Christian? There should be evidence in your life. If a jury is going to look at someone and say, innocent or guilty, they're going to look at the evidence first, and then they're going to say, based on the evidence, this person is guilty or this person is innocent. Uh, you look, in, and we were just there the other day in Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus in the city of Jericho, had this desire to see Christ. He was a tax collector, wealthy, rich. He could not see him because of the crowd, sits up in a sycamore tree. Jesus changed that man's life. He followed the invitation of Christ. And what happened? Instead of cheating people and taking advantage of people, he wanted to give people back even fourfold what he had taken advantage of them for. That's evidence that Zacchaeus' life was changed. Let me ask you these questions today. Do you love Jesus Christ in your life? See, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, there should be evidence of that because you should be desiring to live near him and intimate with him. You should be having conversations with people about him and you should say, Jesus, I'm seeking you first in my life because why? If I love you, I'll obey what you command. So do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me ask you this. Do you love First Baptist Church Clarksville? See, see, what happens when somebody says, yeah, I love First Baptist Clarksville, but I really don't attend. I'm not giving and I'm not serving anywhere. Does the evidence say you really love this church if you refuse to attend and you don't give and you don't serve? Do you love the Bible? Well, sure, I love the Bible, but do you love the Bible if you never open the Word of God and you never read it, you never seek to apply it to your life, you never seek to live it out, you never talk about it? Do you love the Bible? And do you love people? Even people who are different than us, do you love people? There should be evidence that you love Jesus, evidence that you love this church, evidence that you love God's word, and evidence that you love people. And so what James is saying here in this passage, he's, he's listen, literally asking two questions in the beginning. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And then James goes into talking about it for brother or sister, and he talks about two needs in that person's life. One is clothes, and the other one is food. And he says, but if you've got a brother or sister in Christ who needs clothes or needs food, what good is it if you don't do anything about it? We can expand that in our day to say, sure, there are needs that we've got a brother or sister in Christ needs clothes, or a brother or sister in Christ needs food. What about a brother or sister in Christ that's lost his or her job? What about a brother or sister in Christ that's facing a terminal illness? What do we do in the midst of that? Are we reaching out and ministering to that person in need? And James is saying it makes a difference when you say you have faith, but there's an absence of works. And then he went on to say, one of you says to them, go in peace, shalom, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that, he says? 
And then he gives this strong word, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, and he's very strong here, he says is dead, it's lifeless. Uh, let me give you these two words. The first word is speech. You and I need to be careful. How do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know that I know Jesus? One is speech, so we get aware of these needs, just like James is saying. You've got brothers or sisters in Christ who need clothes and food. What are you going to do in the midst of that? Somewhere along Lifeway, we can give speech, and here's what I mean by that. We come across somebody, they've got clothes, uh, a need for clothes. They've got needs for rent, shelter. They've got needs for food. Somebody has lost a job or someone's going through a terminal illness, and we just say to that person, I realize you've got a lot going on in your life. And if you ever need anything, you can let us know. We'd love to help you. And oh, by the way, I want you to know, I am praying for you, by the way, too. And then we go on our way and we do nothing about it. Speech sometimes in the Christian life can be easy. Uh, I, I know you're struggling. I know you're suffering. I know it's hard. If I can do anything, you let me know. If we can do anything, let us know. But I want you to know I'm praying for you and you move on. Second word is surrender. Same situation Brother, sister in Christ, you understand the need, you understand the situation, and you understand the severity of it, and here's what you do. You say to that person, brother, sister in the Lord, hey, I just want you to know, you don't have to take care of your yard over the next number of weeks. We're going to do that for you. I'll just so you'll know, um, that project that you started that you weren't able to complete because your health's just not where it needs to be, don't worry about that project. We're going to come around you and we're going to finish that project for you. Oh, oh, by the way, you don't have to get meals. We're going to bring meals to you and your family over the next number of days. So you don't have to be concerned about that. We're just going to take care of your needs. Oh, I hate that you lost your job, but I'm going to connect you with somebody else who very well may be able to help you land a new job in your life. And also, is it okay if I stop by your house this afternoon? Because I want to spend a little time with you, listen to you, but I want to pray for you and see how we can help you. Speech and surrender. It's easy to speak, but what about surrender? And James is saying, ask two very pointed questions to say, don't just speak. Faith, actions, works, show those two things together. When you see a brother or sister in Christ in need, do something to meet that need in the name of Jesus. And why does he say that? Because when you say you're a Christian, you say you love Jesus, you say that you're a believer in Christ, there should be evidence that you are walking with Jesus in your life. Evidence should be there. So let me ask you today, as a child, student, or an adult. You say you know Jesus. You say you're a Christian. But is there evidence that shows other people that you are walking with Christ in your life? Is there evidence? Number two, the emptiness of faith. James goes on. He talks about the emptiness of it. And he says, someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. And then he says this. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. A couple of words here I want you to write down. One is head. And so it's easy for people around the world to say, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. What does that mean? I mean, there are people all over the world who say they believe in God, but they don't even know what it really means. But in your head, you're saying, yes, there is a God. There is one God. It's the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Many people around the world would say, yes, the Lord God is one. 
And James says, well, you say that, but you've got to realize even the demons would say that and believe that. And they would shudder. They would show emotions when they would say that. So, so there are many people in life, they've got head knowledge that, yes, God is one. We believe in God. What does that mean? We believe the stories of the Bible. They even have some intellectual things about the Bible. They can say, I, I know the story of, of Moses and the Red Sea. I know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, David and Goliath. I know something about Easter and Christmas. I know something about John three sixteen. They know that because it's in their mind. They've heard the stories. They've got knowledge in some capacity. And James says, well, but you've got to realize even the demons believe those things. There's got to be something different in your life because it's not just about head, it's about something else. So even that, I've had people knock on my door and I love that when it happens. They want to have a spiritual conversation. Here's what I know very quickly. They know a lot of information about the Bible. The problem is they just don't know the author of the Bible. And there's a difference in that. And here's the truth of the matter. You can believe there's a God and still die lost in your sins. You can believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven and still die and spend eternity separated from him. Because you've never stepped across the line to say, Lord Jesus, you love me. You've given your life for me. I've sinned against you. I need your forgiveness and I trust, I turn from my sin. I trust you to be my Savior. It's just about the head. And James is saying there's got to be more than just the head. Second word is heart. This is where he changes your heart, the deepest part of your life. And this is the heart. This is where he changes your life. Uh, Let me ask you a few questions today. Have you turned from your sin and given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ in life? Uh, Let me ask you this question. Can you share your conversion story with another person? And then let me ask you, when you share your conversion story, is Jesus the hero of your story? I shared my story just a moment ago in about 45 seconds. And what did I say in the beginning? Jesus changed my life. He's the hero of my story. I'm not saved because of personal merit. I'm not saved because of good works. I'm saved because Jesus died on a cross and gave his life, shed his blood, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. The tomb is empty. One day is coming again. I'm saved because of God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ. Can you say that? I was on a Zoom call probably about a month ago with a, with a leader in a parachurch ministry. If I said the name of the ministry, you would know it. I'd never met this person. We were talking about some ministry opportunities, what we could do. And and so as we were getting ready to get off the Zoom call, I just said to the person, hey, is there any specific ways I can pray for you? Because I want to pray for you. person listed out two or three ways I could pray. And so I said, I'm going to do that before we end this call. And, And then I said to the person, just sensing the leadership of the Holy Spirit to say, could you share with me your conversion story? a leader in ministry for this parachurch group. person shared probably three to four minutes or so. And I'm not being critical, not being judgmental, but Jesus was never mentioned in that story. Can I just say this morning in faithfulness to God's word, 
if Jesus is not the center and the hero of your story, you need to really seek the Lord whether you have a conversion story or not. Because Jesus is the only one who saves you. Jesus is always the hero of our stories. It's Jesus. So what, what, what James is saying here, there's evidence of faith. If you know Christ, there should be evidence of that. He's talking about the emptiness of faith. You say there's one God, but well, even the demons say that. So it's more than the head. It's also the heart. Jesus changes your life. And then number three is the excitement of faith. Because James is going to make a transition here and he's going to talk about the excitement of faith. We get excited about a lot of things, even sports. Our favorite team. And so I want to congratulate Tennessee Volunteers for beating the Wildcats yesterday. Congratulations on that. That's great. But as I said to some people today who were saying to me, hey, the cats look good, just not good enough. I said, the good news is my hope is not in the Kentucky Wildcats. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we win or lose, life's going to go on, but Jesus wins every single time. But we get excited about these things in life. We get excited about sports, or we get excited about other things. James is saying you and I should be excited about faith in Christ. Now, uh, he gives us a couple of biblical illustrations. One, he talked about Abraham. He says in this passage, and he lists about Abraham, and he gave very specific, he said about him, he said, it was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. So he's going back to a place where we were at just a few days ago, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, what's called Mount Moriah. Um, God gave Abraham a son named Isaac and one day said to him, I want you to go up on Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice your one and only son. The morning came, Abraham got up, got his son together, told a few people they were going to go away and worship and they were going to come back. They started up Mount Moriah. They get up to the top there. Finally, everything is right on the altar. Abraham has the knife up. He's ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac. And God said, I, Abraham, that's enough. I want you to look over. There's a ram over there. I want you to sacrifice the ram and not Isaac. We understand that as the word Jehovah Jireh, meaning this, that God will provide. The good news for you and me is, what did he do? He didn't give us a ram, he gave us a lamb, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. We have every reason to celebrate. Why? Because of Abraham's obedience, because of Jesus' obedience. He died on a cross and gave his life for you and for me. God always provides. And he's doing that here in the book of James with the story of Abraham. Abraham had such a relationship with God. He was called the friend of God. What do people say about you? How do you know that you're a Christian? What is the evidence of your relationship with Christ? What do they say about you or about me? For Abraham, can you imagine under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say this? He is a friend of God. And then the second illustration we have is Rahab. The context comes about Rahab and he says, uh, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? That is in Joshua chapter 2, the story of Rahab. You think, is her life significant? Here is a prostitute, the lowest of the low. But aren't you excited for incredible grace in Almighty God? Yes, he changed Abraham's life, but he saved a prostitute by the name of Rahab. Folks, if he saved Rahab, he'll save you and me. That's how amazing grace is. 
And you think, is Rahab's life significant? Well, read Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess whose name is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus? It's Rahab. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, and you see this great hall of faith. And you see all these people listed there. Guess who's listed in the great hall of faith? A prostitute named Rahab. And so when you look at Abraham and Rahab, there are some great insights about our lives. And I've given you five of these that I want you to really focus in on. When you think about Abraham and Rahab first, we can know Jesus Christ. You don't have to go through your life wondering if you know him or not. You can have assurance that you're going to spend eternity in heaven because Jesus Christ has changed your life. You can know Jesus in your life. Number two, God uses people of different backgrounds. Abraham, Rahab, a prostitute. God can use people of different backgrounds. He wants to use your life. You may have wasted the first 30 years of your life. But God has a divine purpose and plan for your life. He wants to use you. When you look at their story, God leads us to do things that require trust. And when you look at Abraham, he had to trust God to say, God, I'm going to do everything you ask me to do, even if that's sacrificing my one and only son. Rahab had to trust God that they were going to come back and spare her life and those of her family as well. It required them to trust God. God, I'm putting all of my weight upon you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your path. What are you doing today that says, God, I have to trust you completely? I mean, I, I look at this chair, and I, I, mean, I trust this chair. I mean, I think the chair would hold me up. And I look at it, it seems like a, a nice chair. It seems like it's well-built. seems like it's pretty sturdy when I look at it. So you can say, well, do you trust the chair? Well, I can walk around this chair all day and say, I trust the chair, but do I really trust the chair? And I can even get to a point in my life, and I can sit down and say, you know, I, I trust the chair. But if it ever started to fall on me, I can move pretty quick. But do I really, really, really trust the chair? And then I could even get to a point and say, you know, I, I think I trust the chair. I do trust the chair, so I'm sitting like this. But, but still, again, if, if the chair broke down, I can still move pretty quick. Here's how you know you trust this chair. You sit down in the chair and say, I totally trust the chair. And how do you do that? I totally trust this chair. All of my weight is on this chair. I totally trust this chair. Let me ask you, how are you trusting Almighty God in your life? I think I trust Him. I believe I do. But what is it in your life where you look at your life, God, I totally trust you. Totally trust you. Abraham and Rahab give us that insight. Look at the number four. God blesses us to know him in intimate ways. Not just about him, but to live close and near him. Abraham, Rahab live intimate with Almighty God. You can do the same. Then number five, our lives make a kingdom difference. God wants to use us for his agenda, not just ours, but to make a kingdom difference. I make notes a lot. Take, take notes. And I look back at something the other day and it just blessed me to no end because I journal some and keep things. It was July the 2nd, 2001. It's been a long time ago. And just the entry I made in July the 2nd, 2001, 
A lot of, a lot of water has passed under the bridge since July 2nd, 2001. But I looked at that and I thought, God, I just thank you so much for your call on my life and, and your grace in my life. Because July 2nd, 2001, at the end of the day, I'd made a notation and I just said, God, this has been a great day because I've had four gospel conversations with people today. Over 20 years ago. God, just thank you that I could be about your kingdom agenda. Four gospel conversations on that one day. And there's the excitement of faith. Folks, if we, if we get excited about ball games, we should be excited about Jesus in life. We should be excited about Christ. He lets us be a part of the kingdom agenda. Look at number four, the evaluation of faith. Here's what I know as well, that you go along in life. You go to the doctor, they're going to ask you a lot of questions. How's your diet, your exercise? You know, why is your health this way or that way? They're even going to make recommendations. It might not hurt you to lose a few pounds. It might not hurt you to get a little more exercise. Probably ought to stop eating some of those donuts and some of that other stuff. Eat something, eat some fruit maybe. Uh, they're going to evaluate that. When we flew into Israel the other night, we got to customs. Guess what? They asked some evaluation questions. When Ainge and I stepped up to the customs agent, they said, what are you doing here? Well, we're here on a spiritual pilgrimage. Okay. Where are you staying at tonight? Well, we're staying at Herod's Hotel out in Herzliv on the Mediterranean. When you leave tomorrow, where are you going tomorrow? Well, we're going up to the Galilee region. We're going to spend some days up there. What are you going to do up there? Well, we're going to look at the Sea of Galilee and do some other things up there. How long are you going to be here? We told them we're going to be here probably about the next nine days. Pending a negative COVID test, we'll be on our way back to the United States. Positive test, going to be here a little longer than that. Praise God they were negative. We got to come home. But there are evaluation questions. When you look at this, in the end, he says, for as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's just an evaluation of faith. Now let me ask you uh, these questions here that I just want you to think through today. Kids, students, and adults. Number one, do you know with assurance that you have been saved? Do you know Christ? Not that maybe you have, you hope you have. Do you know with assurance that you're saved? Jesus has changed my life. Number two, are you thankful for all that Jesus has done for you? Here's what I mean with that, folks. He went to a cross. The sinless Son of God went to a cross. Nails piercing his hands and feet. A crown of thorns over his head. A spear piercing his side. He died on Calvary's cross for you and for me. Are you thankful for all that Jesus has done and is doing for you and for me? Are you thankful? Number three, do you pray for opportunities to tell other people about Jesus? Are you asking God to give you an opportunity for gospel conversations? The other morning, we came out of the hotel getting on the bus. Two young ladies there at the entrance of the hotel just said to those two young ladies, good morning, how y'all doing? Having a good day so far? Good day. And I'd say, by the way, you, you ladies born and raised here in Jerusalem, here in Israel? Yeah, we were. I said, oh, by the way, too, what... 
just as you look at faith and practicing that, what, what would that look like for you? And what I'm talking about, Jewish and practicing Judaism. And the other young girl looked and she said, I don't really practice anything. I consider myself an agnostic. And so, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to speak into our life? And so I said, now how did you end up in, in this land of the Bible to become an agnostic? And this young girl looked at me and she says, I just don't see enough facts to believe. And I said, well, we have the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, but I said there, you live in the land of facts. I mean, the empty tomb is walking distance from here. Golgotha's right there with it as well. But are you praying for opportunities to share Christ? We'll see your connect group, this worship center filled. Why? Not because it's building, not because of ads we take out, not because of programs we do. Why? Because we have gospel conversations with people. He wants us to tell his story. Number four, do you have a healthy spiritual appetite? Are you hungry for the things of God, the word and for prayer and worship and fellowship with God's people? Are you, do you have a spiritual appetite in your life? Number five, do you long to build deeper relationships with other believers? You don't want to miss gathering with God's people. On April 3rd, we're talking about regathering our first family. You want to be with the people of God because if you miss, something is missing about you. Because you love the Lord and you love his people. Number six, are you growing in character? Just holiness, Christ-likeness. That when you slip and fall in the Christian life, you just don't want to live in that way in habitual sin. It convicts you. The Holy Spirit convicts you. You want to live faithful to Christ. You're growing in your character. Number seven, do you have a passion to center your life around God's purposes? You want to live your life for God, not for yourself. You want to please Him and not merely please other people. Let me come back and ask you again, what about the evidence? What about the evidence of your faith in Christ? I want to ask you today, those who would say, I I know Jesus. He is my Savior. Faith and works should complement one another. I want to ask you today, if you say you know Jesus, don't curse in your life. If you say you know Jesus, don't use inappropriate language. It just doesn't fit who you are in Christ. You say you know Jesus, don't live an immoral lifestyle. I just challenge you. If you're a believer in Christ, you know that. Live faithful to Christ. Here's what I mean. Don't don't view pornography. It doesn't fit who you are in Christ. Don't don't sleep around on your husband or wife. It doesn't fit who you are in Christ. Don't live together outside of marriage. It doesn't fit who you are in Christ. Live faithful to Jesus. you're a believer in Christ don't get high on marijuana and other drugs and stuff like that and get high on the Lord Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit do an incredible work in your life if you say you know the, the Lord Jesus Christ don't, don't disrespect other people who may have a different color skin or a different race in life Jesus Christ gave his life for every single one of us And if you know Christ, I just want to encourage you, live for Jesus. You say you have faith. Well, there should be evidence that that is true. And let me ask you this. If being a Christian was illegal, 
against the law, would there be enough evidence to convict you that you were living faithful to Christ? Would there be? I want us all to stand together here for a moment. We're going to stand together and sing here in just a moment. But, but I want to encourage you today, if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, you're watching and you're not a believer in Christ, I just want to appeal to you with everything I have and can. Right now, at this moment, surrender your life to Jesus. Trust Him. Understand He loves you. You've sinned against Him. You've disobeyed Him. Turn from your sin and put your trust in Christ. Let Him save you today, right now. And if you need to come forward, you can step out in just a moment. I'm going to be here. Our pastoral staff will be here. Other people who are going to pray will be here. You can come forward. We'd love to pray with you and help you from God's Word how you can have assurance that you know Jesus in your life. Simple prayer. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you that Jesus died on a cross for me. I have sinned against you. I need forgiveness in my life to be changed. And Jesus, I turn from my sin. I trust you to be my Savior. And I call on your name for forgiveness. He'll change your life. Simple prayer, calling out to him, trusting him. And I want to ask those in the room watching believers, you say you know Jesus, but is there evidence that you know him? If you're here watching and you say, I just don't really know, maybe, I, I hope so, maybe, we want you to come forward today because we want you to walk out of this building. We want you to log off and have assurance that you know Christ. You've trusted him. I want you to know that. And then just want to encourage you. Abraham was a friend of God. What would people say about you as a child, as a student, as an adult? What would people say about you? Let the evidence say you're faithful to Christ. Father, it is so special to trust in you and Jesus. And Father, today, for those who are not believers, for those who need to be baptized, for those who need to join the fellowship of our church family, for those who are believers who just not been living faithful to you, and today is a day where the Holy Spirit is moving and they need to make different decisions in life. God, we pray that in this invitation, we would trust in you, we'd walk away changed because of the power of the Holy Spirit in life. So, Father, this is for your glory, and this invitation is inviting people to Jesus. Thank you for faith. Thank you for works. And help the evidence say we love Jesus, we love you, Father, and we desire to be obedient to you. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together. Our staff will be here. Our prayer team will be here. We invite you to come. We want to help you know Christ and to live faithful to him. Let's sing together.